Welcome to Triple Black TV's weekly podcast, where we feature the world's most extreme athletes. This week, we are proud to introduce Steve McClure, the British rock climber, who, after seven years of incredible effort, established UK's hardest route in Malham Cove, Rain Man. Although Steve humbly admitted he was reluctant to give the route a grade, he believed Rain Man to be considerably harder than Overshadow, which he established 10 years earlier in 2007. And that route, which was confirmed with the legendary Adam Undra, was a solid 9A plus or 515A. Which means when the rating is finally confirmed, Rain Man could quite easily be a 9B or 515B, making it not only UK's hardest route, but one of the hardest routes in the world. And what makes this story even more incredible is that Steve is 46 years old. As you will hear, Steve believes his best years could still be ahead of him, and if that's true, <laughs> I can only imagine what he'll achieve by the time he's 50. Are you inspired? <laughs> well, you should be. I know I am. You're in for a treat as Steve, the author of the bestseller Beyond Limits, shares his secrets and how he's able to visualize complex sequence of moves that aren't dependent on strength, how he trains for these mega hard routes, and how he's able to keep his mind focused on the present while simultaneously maintaining a resemblance of balance with his significant other and family. It gives me great pleasure to introduce Steve McClure. Steve, welcome to our show. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. Hey, thank you so much for uh, doing this for us. Uh, we really appreciate this. Not a problem at all, anytime. Right on. And first of all, major kudos on Rain Man. And holy shit, that you worked on that route for like seven years, from what we've heard. Uh, yes, that, that I mean, yeah, that's true. It was a, it was a seven year effort, but it wasn't like that's all I did. Um, it's funny because sometimes I look back and think that I, I've, I've kind of told people I tried it for seven years, and, I, and there's people that I can I can see are thinking, really, seven years? Like, what? That's that's madness. And then I think, well, hang on a minute, like. You know, I think the first year was only a few days. I think the second year might have been like six or seven. The third year was only two days, I think. And then after that, it was a lot. It was more days each year. Um, so I've kind of only really worked it intensively for about four years. But certainly from the, the first conception, it was like seven years ago. So, yeah, it, it, it's it's been a long, relatively long haul. My longest haul, anyway. Yeah, because all the routes, I'm thinking back on uh, when you did, like, Overshadow. I mean, wasn't that, like, a, took, like, 30 days to do that route? Uh, Overshadow took me 40 days in the end. 40? Um, yeah, that was an interesting one, that one, because it, it followed a similar kind of pattern in that um, I tried it for the first year, just a couple of days, like, three or four days. Second year, I tried it maybe five or six days and felt as though I was getting there. And then the third year, I should have done it really. I think I, I did about, I don't know, 50, 10, 15, 15 days, call it. Um, and it got really close, but I just ran out of time. And then the fourth year, within, I think, about two or three days, I was really close to red pointing. But then I just suffered from such bad conditions like day after day after day um, it got it was too hot then it started raining and it got too wet and I, I had to wait till it dried and then it got too hot again and then got injured and 
then I got ill and you know all the time I was still trying it because that's, that's what you do isn't it so there was a lot of days that were su- totally suboptimal um, I felt as though I should have got it in a shorter space of time yeah were you surprised like Adam Lundra came along and did that was that uh, a nice confirmation for you that it was a solid 90 plus uh, yes, it was. Um, I mean, ironically, I'm just writing an article for one of the, the UK magazines, and part of the the text is that uh, it is it's difficult to to grade something when you first of all you've not been to that level before anyway, but also it's just you giving it a grade. You know, it, it's it's it feels like quite a bold move to take it up a level. It's quite a big statement in a way. And um, mm-hmm. it's kind of, it almost goes against my personality to give it a level up. But, but at the same time, you have to give it what you genuinely believe is the right number. Um, and so it was nice for Adam to come over and confirm that my theory was correct. Because <laughs> you never really know. I mean, you you know, you could have got a wrong sequence, or your 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 body shape might not be right, or it might you might have been trying a route that was all to your weaknesses. So it's it is it's, it's a it sometimes feels quite bold to go out there with a big number like that. Yeah, I mean, like for us who aren't climbing at that level, you know, it's like how do you tell the difference? I mean, what is describe the difference between a nine A plus and a nine B? I mean, it's just like how do you tell that difference? Well, um, yeah, I mean, I suppose for myself, um, there was there was few a few ways that I I did that with this route with Rainman. So, so first of all, I'm not actually genuinely qualified to grade anything nine B because I haven't I haven't done a nine B before. Um, but I have done a few nine A pluses, so I could kind of grade it off the back of that. But I suppose. Some of it was um, uh, grid. It was looking at what I was trying relative to other routes. So, as an example, um, after I did Rain Man, I then did Rain Shadow, which is completely confirmed 9A, solid, solid at the grade. I did that like straight away on the on most of the climbing of Rain Shadow for. I don't know, like years and years, 12 years or something. Um, and I, I did it like straight away. So I could tell, you know, in terms of that being 9A, what I'd just climbed with Rain Man was just considerably harder. And like so much harder. It felt like it felt like more than a grade. So a lot of it was, was looking at what I'd done with Rain Man and... It was all relative to other routes and also time as well, time investment. Um, I mean, with grading, you just have to be honest. As long as you're giving it for the right reasons, then mm-hmm. that's, that's all you can do, really. And if you get it wrong, it's, it shouldn't be so bad. That's the way it goes. It's part of the process, isn't it? Yeah. W- would it surprise you if someone like Adam came back and got on it and said, hey, dude, actually, this is 9B+. Plus. <laughs> um, so my theory, my theory for the the nine B plus uh, issue is that um, it can't. I genuinely believe that it couldn't be nine B plus because 
there's only two 9B pluses in the world, um, done by the two, like, probably two of the best climbers in the world. And I, I know that I'm not climbing as well as those guys. I just, I just know it. Um, so just by that theory, it can't be 9B plus. Um, and, I, and I genuinely would be gobsmacked if it was. The only way that it could be that great is if the route is so specific to me that it's 9B to me, but 9B plus to everybody else, if you know what I mean. Well, you know, it made me wonder, because there's a lot of things that you have said that you focus on finding the moves when it doesn't rely on your strengths. Um, I found yeah. it really fascinating, because there's a lot of us who, who fall into that category where we're obviously not as strong as some of these guys or gals. And you're like, you're looking at the route, and you, you know it goes, because you've seen someone do the moves, or you've been on the moves, and you've actually linked them together. And you're just going... There's got to be an easier way of doing it. How do you find that sequence for you? How does that work for you? Um, I suppose, do you know, I think having an engineering background, which is, is what I have, I, you know, I've got a degree in engineering, and I had seven years as a design engineer. I think that that's quite useful to understand forces and directions and and to combine that with, Climbing skill and climbing technique, put the two two together, uh, and you start to maybe see sequences which aren't just about pulling down on the holes. So you've got to really think three dimensionally, and also there's there's two ways of looking at at a an individual sequence. Um, you can find a sequence which works, and then just focus on that. Or you can find a sequence which works and continuously evolve that sequence. Mm-hmm. And that's two different processes which, um, don't, don't quote me on this, but I think um, Ben Moon famously would find a sequence and stick with it and often ended up doing things the hard way. And Jerry Moffat mm-hmm. would often find a sequence and continuously try and refine it. So he'd end up finding the most efficient sequence in the end, but it potentially might take him longer. So there's, two, there's definitely two ways, and, and I'm sure you see it in climbing yourself. Some people, uh, as soon as they find one, it's that, that's it, that'll do, and then they just go through it. And other people will will go the other way. Now, for this route in particular, it, it was just too hard for me to, <laughs> to, to put up with... Um, the first sequences, you know, I found some was like, right, that works. And then after, after a time, it was like, well, it, okay, it works, but it's going to have to be easier because I can't do it with that sequence. So I would just stare it down. And, uh, you know, I made subtle changes, so many subtle changes. That That's what made the process so amazing was that even after, even after 100 days, on the route, I would still find some little thing, only small, but you know, when it, when you're at your limit, you're just looking for halves of percents, and that could make a difference. Did you ever feel like giving up at any point? I yes, I did actually. I, I did feel like giving up. Um, must have been not not this season, uh, not the season before, but the one before that. I finished the season, and. Um, 
I just thought, uh, it's it's just not going to happen, this. I'm just, I'm trying something that's too hard for myself. Um, mm. So when I started uh, last spring, so a year ago, I was really unmotivated. And I don't even know why I started again, to be honest. I think um, I was just sort of stuck in a process. And I was like, here I am, back at the crag. Oh, there's that route there. I should try that, I suppose. That's just what I do. Um, I tried it, and uh, I'd, I'd increased my, my strength over that winter. So I felt a little bit more on it, and that really motivated me. It's like, oh, I've made some gains. Let's see what happens. So, mm. yes, I'd, in answer to your question, there, there was definitely times I thought I should give up because, I mean, how long can you invest in a route when you can't? see that there's going to be an end you know you can just keep on plugging away but eventually you you have to decide to call it quits at some point because um you know there's there's a lot to do in life isn't there yeah i mean you mentioned something i keep you've said mentioned a couple times now you said see so like uh, when you first see the route i mean you saw it what was that like for you when you first saw the route what was it like looking up and seeing this line that just shot straight up the middle of the wall and you knew it right then it would well, go. Uh, that's interesting because the the very first time that I ever imagined the line was um, on my very first visit to Malam itself, which is back in about um, 1993 or something like that. It's a long time ago. And... It seemed to me, uh, at that point, most of the routes at Malham didn't climb very high. They only climbed about 12 metres. And then there's a, an obvious bulge, which hadn't really got any routes going through it, and then, then a, a big section above as well. And I wanted to try and climb a route way back then called Rain Dogs, which stopped at the bulge. And it was a classic eight a you know, one of the sort of benchmark classics. And it just looked to me like if that route could carry on right to the top of the cliff, then it, that was the future. I could see that. That's the line. That's the future. That's the routes to the side of that were, were, were obviously going to be really good and really hard, but they, they kind of were, were discontinuous, um, not just, just lacking in quality compared to the, the straight line above Rain Dog. So I, I kind of saw it straight away. But it was it was so so far above me that it it was you know it wasn't wouldn't register on my radar at all. It was just like wow, that's the line. Imagine when mm-hmm. someone does that. So mm-hmm. it's when, kind of really when nice did you realize, full circle. Yeah, when did you realize that person? Because you just said you could see some person doing it someday. When did you realize that person could be you? The, only, the very first time I realized that person could be me was probably the very end of last season. That was the first time I actually thought, ooh, I might be able to do this. But, um, I mean, I bolted it seven years ago, so I suppose I I, I had an inkling that maybe um, I, I could take on that challenge. Because I'd taken on a few of the other hard challenges at Malham to the side of the obvious line. Um, and I tended to do them, this sounds very lazy, but they were already bolted. Um, there were already projects that had been abandoned. Uh, so they were well-established. Some of them even had names. Some of them had been graded. 
Um, they've been tried by people and they've been left behind. So I kind of stepped in and did those. But the obvious, the challenge was um, unbolted and unattempted, and that's what I bolted seven years ago. Who came up with the name, Rain Man? Because at first you had a working name I've heard. It was pretty funny. Uh, the Easy Easy, a playoff of Dora Dora. Yep, that's right. Yeah, I, I, I put that name to it because it was obviously so much easier than Ajura Jura. So um, <laughs> I stuck that onto it a while ago. But um, the, the name Rain Man, um, I suppose I quite like short, punchy names. I think if you give it a long name, it tends to get shortened anyway. Mm-hmm. So I like short names. And um, it, it it was just the obvious name. Um, I don't necessarily think it's the best name I could have thought of. It's it's a good name. It's short no, it's and it's obvious. And um, you, you, I'm, I'm happy with the name. Sometimes it's hard to give a name. Um, I think it's it's a good it's a good choice. Uh, I'm happy with the name, but sometimes giving names is hard. Yeah, <laughs> so, no, it is. You want I've... you want to if you give it a rubbish name, it's <laughs> that's its name forever. <laughs> it's too late. Was it inspired by the movie? Do you know Today? what? I haven't seen the movie. No, I haven't oh seen it. You got to see Rayman. It is such a good movie. Yeah, no, no, I know. I've and I've been meaning to to watch it actually, especially since I've uh, climbed it. But uh, quite a few people <laughs> um, that that when when I originally somebody suggested Rayman, um, and they'd seen the movie, and they said, you know, it's a really good movie for the route and it kind of has some connection to the movie as well and and then quite a lot of people have said the same things you know i haven't seen the movie i can see the connection there so it, it makes sense i'm just basically waiting for um enough time to actually watch it life seems so what, quite busy these days so what's the connection um just that there's somebody in in the film that is um um basically there i think they're from what I get, they're, they're a bit autistic, and they're they're just um, they're, they're very focused on doing something very obsessively. Um, I think that's pretty much the up and down of it. Interesting. So it's identify with the character then. Yes, there's an there's an obsessive nature in the film, um, just like with this. There had to be some level of obsessiveness to actually achieve it, <laughs> certainly for, for myself. It, it, had, it had to be. There's no way that anybody could have achieved... Well, certainly I couldn't have achieved it if I if I wasn't so obsessed. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the last year when you just really uh, focused all your energy on it, I mean, was it something like you just go to sleep at night, you were thinking about it, wake up, you were thinking about it, the whole day you were thinking about it? Oh, man... Man, yeah, you, I mean, obviously you, you you can relate to this in some way, but mm-hmm. yeah, for sure, the amount of time that I spent thinking about it was just ridiculous. I mean, it it would be all the time, you know, like, like even when I was even I was talking to somebody on the telephone, I'd be still thinking about it, you know, literally <laughs> all the time. I'd be, I'd, yeah, visualizing the moves, just like over and over and over them again, and and trying to maybe refine them in my head and um, optimize them, and thinking you know, if that that foot goes there, then 
is that the best way of doing the sequence? And what about if I do this? And and then also all of the the sort of planning and thinking, well, that little place there where I get a little shake, is that, should I be doing it like that? Should I be shaking that hand a bit more than that hand? Because the next move is more focused on that hand. You know, you know, so much time. It, it was, the, the amount of space in my head since finishing it has been amazing. <laughs> it's been quite, quite interesting. I think that's what it takes, though. Yeah, yeah, I think you're probably right. I think, um, I think when you're climbing on your limit, it's not just about the physical limit. There's tons of other stuff, and investing time in that mental visualization is is probably part of the game. I think it's a necessary part of the game because otherwise, uh, you know, with a round like that, how many moves do you think there were in that move in that climb? Um, so, ooh, well, I mean, you've got the eight at the bottom, um, which I don't know uh, takes takes like a minute and a half to climb when you're quick, and then you've got a rest, which is sort of just um, a bridged shake for not very long. Then you've got a fontate, which is I, mean, I don't know maybe fifteen hand movements or something like that, uh, and then the the eight C plus at the top is probably about 25 hand movements um, and then you get a half decent rest and then another hit on top which is probably another 20 hand movements or something like that but I think the top bit's kind of relatively irrelevant because you get a decent rest before it. Would you practice visualizing the entire route from the, from the beginning to the end each every time you went through it? Um, probably wouldn't bother with the AT at the bottom um, so I'd start from this sort of shakeout rest and then go through the font eight a boulder problem and and then the the root eight c plus I'd definitely visualize that I suppose I was visualizing what um the 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 section of climbing which was the meat of it you know where it where it really really counted um the eight a at the bottom i suppose i could i i, I could always get through that. Um, to a certain extent, but I had to get the top bit perfect. Any mistake um, was going to cost me, but but any gain in terms of sequence refinement was going to pay off. So that's mm-hmm. where I was looking for any kind of gains, really. Did you uh, refine your training specifically for Rayman? Um, I think I did, yeah. Um, well, in fact, I definitely did. I think it, with it being on my mind for quite a long time, it becomes the focus. And you, you, without really realizing it, you know what you've got to do, and so you end up, you know, even if it might not be what you perhaps should do to be an overall better climber, you, you, this is your focus. This is what you want to do. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, your training does definitely. I mean, I think I was quite lucky because the, what the route demanded from me was actually more of what I'm already good at. So you know, if it had been a, a route with loads of really long, burly, powerful moves, then um, it would have been like, oh right, you have to go back to the drawing board here and sort of rebuild yourself. But it, it was it, it was very much to my strengths this route. Uh, and that's why I, I feel incredibly privileged to have found it, 
that it, it it was to my strengths and it really motivated me in that way. And it was like I found something so perfect. Um, so yeah, it was never a, it was never a problem to be trying it. So were you training primarily on fingerboard? Were you campusing, or what were you doing specifically? Um, so th- I suppose the you know to describe my training very briefly, it would be fingerboarding. Um, laddering on a campus board, but not not so much campusing like one four seven, more like one three five seven nine up and down. So a more of a sort of um, power endurance element to it. Mm-hmm. So would you just see how um, long you could stay on the board? Yes, yes. Yeah. So uh, as you know, I'd typically I'd go one three five seven nine, uh, back down again, back up again, back down again, back up again, that sort of thing. Um, rather than the sort of just one four seven off, which is more standard campusing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. That's what so most of us do. I was, yeah. So I'd, I'd kind of worked out that I, I, I was actually I was strong enough for the route. Being stronger would have been nicer, but I was strong. I was strong enough, so I needed to work on that sort of real sort of top end power endurance. But I also worked on. Um, my undercut strength. There's a couple of moves on it which involved like, pulling into an undercut, a sort of crimpy undercut. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like nipple height. Can imagine pulling right in, crimpy undercut, and then doing a long stretch off it. So I specifically trained that kind of move. Um, but that, that's probably the only specific training I did. So that was my my main things that I was doing. But then I was, I was doing all the other stuff on top as well. I was doing a lot of bouldering inside, but lots of boulder problems, um, uh, general sort of conditioning, um, some level of standard aerobic um, capacity stuff, just all your general stuff, but with a, with a focus on this route, really. And a lot, a lot of my work is route setting, so that tends to give me a, like, quite a good base level as well. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. You're still doing it, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, too much, man. <laughs> yeah, probably too much. But uh, it, it's, it's. I don't mind it. It's all right. As a job, it's okay. As long as I combine it with my other work as well, then uh, it's not a bad job. Yeah, because what I find amazing is that you climb this route at the age. You're 46, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's amazing. But, that is amazing, isn't it? <laughs> Did you ever think that you'd be climbing your house route at that age? No, for sure. Well, definitely not. I would never have imagined it. But an age is a funny thing. Like, we don't know how we're going to age. It's quite hard to visualize. When you're younger, you see people that are older, and you just think, man, they're so damn old. But then now that I'm older, I don't feel any different to when I was younger <laughs> yet. So, I'm getting older, it's a funny thing. I, I feel, I don't feel any weaker. I don't feel any less fit. I don't feel any less motivated. Um, I feel like I've got potential to get better and maybe even climb harder. The only thing that I am aware of is that I, I get injured easier um, and, I, and I'm more busy. <laughs> That's the two main things. Have you noticed your recovery time is a little bit longer too? 
yes, yeah, yeah, you're probably right, actually. That, that is something, it probably is. I don't know, I don't know, because if I look back on when I was climbing hard routes when I was like 30, I was always giving myself two days rest between proper good goes. So I'm still working on that same principle now. Um, I don't know, I'm not, I'm not sure I have noticed that. Uh, maybe I'm not trying hard enough. <laughs> I know, I always tell people, you know, because I'm, I'm going to be 62 here soon. And people go, yeah, how old? 62. 62? Yeah, and people say, 62? <laughs> and I go, I know, well, you know, I've always had the belief that age is a state of mind. If you think you're old, guess what? You will become old. You will become exactly the age yeah. you think you are. And I always think of myself as being 28. And I, I think of myself going, you know, I think I could be even better when I'm 70 or 80 years old. I know that's kind of a crazy thought, but I feel like, <laughs> you know, after seeing you doing this route in 46, I'm just going, you know, I think anything's possible. What, what if you could become better at 66 or even 86? Wouldn't that be cool? It would be very cool. <laughs> Gives you something to look forward to. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's it. I mean, that, that, I suppose that, that's a lot about, um, life, I think, is having something to look forward to and something to be motivated for. I think if you've got, if you've got something, it makes such a difference to your state of mind. It really, really does. And, um, I mean, I, I, I'm, I feel I'm incredibly lucky. I've, I've got two things. I've got my climbing and my family, which are two things that are, are always there. And, there's a lot of people who don't seem to have anything. I, I just wonder how they bother getting by in life. And that's the truth. Tell us about your family real quick. Uh, are you married? Um, I'm not married, but I might as well be. You know, I've been with my partner for 30 years. Wow. 30 years? Congratulations. It's not 30. No, that's an exaggeration. It's about 24 years. <laughs> Maybe it seems like 30 years. So I've been with her a long time. So we didn't get married, but... You know, most people probably would have done. Um, and Any kids? we've got two kids, yeah, age 10 and age 5. Right on. Are they climbing too? Yeah, they do a bit. They're, they're not as mad keen as I am. Um, and I don't think they will be. Um, they might be, but... I, I look at them now and how motivated they are to climb, and I, I compare that to how motivated I was to climb when I was ten. Mm-hmm. And there's a big difference. When I was ten, it was I was just that was it. I was all over it. Um, you know, I, I was I, I'd, I'd watch the guys climbing, and then I, I'd be gagging for a top rope. On the thing, I wanted to to climb the routes they were climbing. My kids haven't got that kind of uh, drive, and it's probably a good thing, <laughs> to be honest. Sometimes that that excessive drive can be painful for a parent. <laughs> Imagine how your wife has been with you, or your significant other with you. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, to be honest, it has. Yeah, she's she's put in a good show by sticking by me. As, uh, especially since we've had kids, she's obviously had to bear the brunt of a lot of the work. But 
it, works, it does work really well because because I'm self-employed, I, I can my my working time is very flexible, and you know we, I think we work pretty well together as a team. Well, 24 years together, you're doing something right, man. Yeah, yeah, you'd have to say so. Yep. <laughs> so what's next? Do you have your sights on La Dorador? No. <laughs> I've got to be realistic. One of the things about uh, having a family um, is it, it does kind of tie you a little bit to to where you're based. And even mm. though I would like to go off for long periods of time, it doesn't. It's not really going to happen for a while. Um, I wouldn't want to do it either. You know, going away for a fortnight uh, is quite a strain on the heart because you know the kids are missing you massively, and you miss them massively as well. And it's probably not worth being away for that long. You know, for me now, what I want to do most in my life is be away with them somewhere. That that is that is more what I'd like to do, but. But I am also massively driven by the, the whole climbing thing. And if, if you ever get read round to reading my autobiography, which um, what, what's you the name probably haven't read. Not yet. It's called Beyond Limits. Beyond Limits. Beyond Limits. Beyond Limits, yeah. When did that come out? And it came out about three years ago. I'm going to download it and we'll read it. The, the name, Beyond Limits, refers to the life that I have, which is beyond the climbing at the limits. So I have this life which is all about climbing at the limits, and I have something else which is beyond that, which is like family and everything else. Um, so, uh, and the book is really about the um, the sort of um, clash that you end up having between being a climber and being totally driven and that's what you want to do. You want to climb, you want to go climbing, but then you've got this other thing in your life which is kind of pulling you away from climbing. And it's trying to find the balance, trying to find who you are in this world and trying to find what you really want from life. And I think it's it's quite a, it's a it's a tough process and it was it was really nice to write the book. I, I didn't really write the book for anybody other than myself. Um have a read, see what you think. Yeah, no, I will. You know, just listening to you talk about it, it reminds me probably every climber that pushes himself, that is, um, that I know. Um, because we all deal with it. You know, we get this obsession with climbing. You just you just want to go out all the time. Everything you do, I mean, you know, last night I was training until my fingers were practically bleeding. Yeah. And you... You walk away, you feel like that was a good workout, and you visualize moves and everything else, and your whole life is stuff up. But then the following day, reality kicks in, and you go to work. And yep, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> with people that don't climb, and well, unfortunately, with you, you're involved in setting routes and everything else, so you're around people who are climbing all the time. But for a lot of us out here, you know, we're dealing with people who don't climb, and so. Um, it's an interesting thing beyond limits. I'm going to have to read that because we're all dealing with the same thing. How do you combine both lives? Yeah, yeah. It is, it's interesting, really quite interesting. Yeah, have a read. Yeah. Oh, well, lastly, uh, what words of inspiration would you like to share with the Trouble Black community? Words of inspiration? Yeah, well, if you uh, 
why did everyone to walk away with one really good takeaway of your philosophy in life? What would it be? Um, I suppose. Ooh, that's a that's a big question. That I mean, you you've 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 always got to see what you've got in life. I suppose that's that's really the key to it. You know, we we it's so easy to think that we we want more, but you've got to look at what you've got, and not only what you've got, you've got to look at what you've got right now, and got to sort of seize the moment. Don't don't live in the past and and don't wait for the future. Just just live it now because you know you, you, your time is now. You know, enjoy it. That's mm. that's that's one of the things that I really sort of. Whilst I was writing the book, I just thought, shit, like life's too short. Uh, but life is actually really good. Just get on with it. Stop moaning. You know, stop whinging. You know, live it. You only get one of them. Make sure it really counts. Isn't that the truth? Well, Steve, I can't thank you enough. Uh, seriously, you have, I've been following you for quite some time to finally get a chance to chat with you. is just absolutely awesome. Thank you. That's my pleasure. I hope you can uh, sort of spin something together out of all of that. Yeah, no, definitely can. And uh, if anyone wants to make me book a flight to Melham Co, because uh, every video I've seen of you, I'm just like drooling <laughs> I'll replay it, watch it again. This kind of that is, that is a beautiful, beautiful climbing area. That is it really is, spectacular. It's really, really good. Yeah. It is. It's, it's a lovely place. I think there'll be there's a video of me climbing it due out, but it's it's going to be for a few, not for a few months or so. Um, but uh, yeah, that'll be out there. So keep your eyes. Well, when it comes out, uh, shoot me a link and uh, and I'll share it on uh, Facebook and everywhere else, and so we get the word out. Nice one. Good man. Appreciate that. You guys, Steve. Take care of yourself. And yourself. Bye for now, mate. <laughs> Take care, man. Bye-bye. Well, I don't know about you, but I couldn't be more inspired. As soon as we finished this interview, I went to Amazon.com and downloaded his book. And I have to say, it's an incredible read. As with all the interviews, we are left with a number of great takeaways. And I believe the first should be, and this seems to be a common theme, Stay true to your dreams. Never let anyone tell you that you're not strong enough or you're too old to do something. Steve just proved that neither of these false beliefs had anything to do with him. Be your own drummer. March to your own beat. Steve didn't waste his life in a job he hated. Although Steve was a brilliant engineer, he gave up a lucrative position and became a world-renowned route setter creating routes that would ultimately help him refine his techniques so he wasn't relying on his strength, which he openly admits is his weakness. <laughs> Sound familiar? I know I fall into that category and it's made me really rethink my strategy from this day forward. But I believe one of the best takeaways was what Steve shared with us at the very end. Be grateful. As humans, we have a tendency of wanting more and there's nothing wrong with that. We're hardwired that way. But at the same time, we have to be grateful for what we have and what we have accomplished. It's too easy to get caught up in the numbers and forget why we got into climbing in the first place. Don't get caught up in the past. Be in the now. Seize the moment. Don't wait for the future because the future is a mirage you'll never catch. Your time is now. Enjoy it. Life is too short to moan and complain. 
And as Steve likes to say, get on with it. Until next week, my friends, this is Dan Goodwin with Toe Black TV, your entertainment source for extreme sports.